This is the After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. That's right. Hi. <laughs> Just Hi. dancing. He found us. Oh, I'm very excited to report that at my house, the rat that had been living somewhere in my house is now gone. Wait, like the rat hole in Chicago? Yeah, this was a real living rat. This is a real, Ooh. like the real deal we had. Wow. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. a relative. So we, we kept seeing rat footprints on my stove. And so we pulled... Wait. Rat footprints, like specifically? Yeah. Not yeah. a mouse. No, because they were bigger. Like... Yeah. And so we pulled out the stove and we, we rat proofed it. There were some holes behind there. And so we put foam and all kinds of things. And But we think the rat that had made his way in then couldn't get out. And he was living in here. So then we put a trap out. And, got and I went to bed early last night. So it was quiet out in the kitchen area for a while. And he was gone uh, yep. my parents had rats in their attic but that's a little different because it's like separated from your living space and yeah. your, your food no this is really upsetting like i was kind of freaked out and if i was in the living room at night which is a, or the family room which is attached to my kitchen that I looks like hear, uh david K. johnson's living room <laughs> yeah exactly the same one yeah. i could hear that i could hear something so i knew it was living in the house and he's gone so i'm feeling much better more relieved the uh, kitchen countertops have been Cloroxed and then Cloroxed again. So I think things are going well here. You, yeah. did, you gave it the whole COVID uh, one. <laughs> the whole COVID punch. rundown. The whole sanitary rundown. Exactly. Well, some people have uh, rats in their kitchen and other people have bears under their crawl space. Oh, in their crawl space. bear in the old crawl space story, huh? It happens. We had one recently, as a matter of fact, where there was a bear living under someone's porch, right? That was in Canada, eh? That was in Canada. But now, no, this is a under somebody's crawl space. So maybe they like to just live underneath away from it all. This woman found a large black bear in a crawl space. And apparently she speaks bear because she was able to actually convince this bear to leave and i think we have video we do here it is what are you doing out out and out (sighs) bad bear this morning got pots and pans and banged it and i had my leaf blower i took it down there and turned it on but didn't budge herzog says she moved food out of the pantry in hopes that the bear wouldn't make its way upstairs so what finally made it move Mothballs. Herzog tossed some into the crawl space and the bear immediately got out and left through a gate. He was like, it stinks in here. So now we know if that ever happens to you, get some mothballs. I mean, if it ever happened to me, I wouldn't be as as calm as that lady was. You wouldn't ask what it was doing? Out, out, out. (laughs) No, no. I'd be like, ah. (laughs) Yeah, me too. But yeah, I it he looks kind of sad that bear. Like he's looking for a place to hibernate for the winter, and well, he was, was warm and cozy. Out. The complication there yeah. was: did you see she had stairs that go down to the crawl space from her pantry? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take much in terms of no. Mm, that snacks. smells good, and I want some of that. I'll have what she's having. Yeah, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, in Texas, your favorite state. Uh, <laughs> A Texas zoo, this is the Fort Worth Zoo, welcomes its first lion birth since 2015. The Fort Worth Zoo in Texas offered its first look at the baby lion. Uh, The zoo said that Moja, 
M-O-J-A, born in October to parents Saba and Abba Gabe, oh. uh, weighed 2.7 pounds when he was four days old and has since grown to 16 pounds. Moja is being kept in an off-exhibit area. They like to be exclusive, you know, when they enter this world. With his mother and officials have not decided uh, when he will go on public display because they have to exploit the animals. Um, let's check out their uh, welcome video, and it's silent, so we can talk over this. Oh my gosh, he's cute, yeah, little Moja. Guy. Moja. I mean, he's cute right now until you know, till all of a sudden you're dinner. But he's yeah. <laughs> for now, how adorable! Although the, the oh father's gosh. name was different in the video, it was Jabalani, not Abagabi. Uh, we might have to uh, get Mori Povich in here. Yep. Oh, he's uh, cute. Fun fact: Saba Swahili. Yep. Did you catch that Swahili for something? I, I was looking at the animal, not the text. Cute, though. Really cute. Yeah, very cute. Yeah. I love him. Um, let's talk about a rescue. This somehow, this pet goat ended up on top of somebody's roof in Arizona. This oh, happened. No. <laughs> it was a rooftop rodeo, they say. Yeah. When this firefighter or firefighters, plural, were called to rescue a pet goat that made its way up on top of this tile roof and then got stranded. But, you know, they like to climb up high, right? They're climbers. The Glendale Fire Department posted on Facebook that crews were called to lend a <laughs> helping hoof when an adventurous goat ended up a little too high up on this home, couldn't get down. Firefighters climbed up to the roof, brought the earth, uh, the goat back down to earth, and it was reunited with its owner. All's well that ends well. But I don't think this is going to be the last time this goat is going to end up on the roof. No, he looked, uh, was it a he? I don't want I'm to not, misgender they, the, didn't, they didn't gender the goat. Oh, I didn't want to misgender the goat. Um, yeah. yeah, he's looking for, he or she is looking for adventure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, looking for a little excitement in life. Lots founded on the tile roof. Places. Mm. Um, speaking of high places, remember the, the lunar lander? Yeah. We talked about? Well, it's doomed. Uh-oh, we kind of knew that. It was kind of dented and all jacked up. Look at yeah, it. Yeah, but now it's headed back for Earth. A, a private U.S. lunar lander that has been leaking fuel throughout its journey is now headed for Earth and will likely burn up in the atmosphere, the company said on Saturday. Astrobotic has been posting regular updates uh, on the Peregrine lander status since the startup of its ill-fated voyage, which began when it blasted off on a brand new Vulcan rocket built by United Launch Alliance on January 8th. Shortly after it separated from the rocket, the spaceship experienced an onboard explosion. That's the worst kind. And it soon became clear that it would not make a soft lunar touchdown. Uh, nothing soft about that. Because of the amount of the propellant it was losing. Although uh, Astrobotics team was able to power up science experiments they were carrying out for carrying on for uh, NASA and other space agencies and gather spaceflight data. Our latest assessment now shows the spacecraft is on a path towards Earth where it will likely burn up in the atmosphere. Uh, the Pittsburgh uh, PA-based uh, company posted on Twitter. The team is currently assessing options and will update as soon as we are able to. So it's a mm. box-shaped robot. It's been in space for more than five days and is currently 242,000 miles from our planet. Wow. wow. Yeah. We're able to do some really cool things. Maybe even not always perfectly. Yeah, even when they fail. <laughs> exactly. I hope they got the insurance. I hope they did too. Can you insure yeah. something like that? I don't even know. Um, okay, so I don't know if you saw this. This this happened a while back in 2018. All right. This unknown aerial phenomenon, basically a UFO kind of situation right. or UAP as they call Mulder, it. Scully. <laughs> like along these lines, yes. 
this is a jelly, they call it the jellyfish. Uh-oh. And it was seen by members of the U.S. military over a military base. They um, People on the base called it the spaghetti monster because it kind of ha- looks like it might have googly arms. But others call it the jellyfish. And so now an investigative journalist has released video of this spaghetti monster jellyfish, whatever you want to call it. And let's take a look. I think we can talk Investigative over Investigative UFO journalists Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp obtained the military-filmed UAP incursion. They say, according to witnesses, the object displayed transmedium capabilities going underwater for more than 15 minutes and after it resurfaced, rapidly accelerating. It is not a standard or common shape of, of UFO or, or UAP. And the, the color change is quite is quite strange because it implies either a camera artifact like some sort of rescaling or some sort of uh, signature management because it doesn't make sense that would be changing from hot to cold so quickly if that's what what's happening that's not really physically uh, possible as far as we know as far as we know as far what do we really know The uh, Intelligence Surveillance Reconnaissance Tactical Controller at the base in Iraq in 2018 said initial reports were that the video was taken that year are incorrect, that the object was spotted near the base at the end of 2017, and that troops there were not sure what to make of this. Um, But it was released as part of a, a UFO transparency effort, apparently. I, nobody knows what it is. This is what, this is all we can say. I put my money on Chinese uh, spaghetti monster. <laughs> the Chinese spaghetti Ch- monster? Chinese noodles. Chinese noodles. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Chinese noodle monster. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, wasn't it weird how like it kind of got transparent and then it got darker? Well, that was, uh, was... that was like, a, that was a, um, what do they call it? Uh, infrared temperature mm-hmm. uh, camera. So even though it was like gray, like the, 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 it was the darkness to lightness indicated mm-hmm. the, change in temperature yeah and uh that camera was mounted on like a huge balloon like an american balloon not a chinese balloon like a yeah, like a balloon that's that's yeah. like above the military base looking down fascinating um, yeah do you think As it was we, something creepy or do you think there's a logical explanation well, it's obviously think? something i th- all, most of these things i think are like experimental air um government aircraft but this mm-hmm. was over iraq so i don't maybe it was a maybe it was china I don't think the U.S. would be running experiments while they're busy with a war in a country. So, or, you know, or who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? But, Maybe uh, the aliens are among us. Here they come. We don't have enough things to worry about. New Year, same stress. Americans uh, have Americans spend an average of three weeks worrying about money every year. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Living paycheck to paycheck can be stressful, to say the least. Now, a new poll finds Americans with limited savings stress about their finances for nearly an entire work month each year. That's nearly 19 days. A survey of uh, 2,000 U.S. adults with less than two months of liquid savings or assets on hand found that while their finances are often top of mind, um, a third of people feel paralyzed to act when a financial disruption occurs. The most common financial disruptions that people feel paralyzed with include unexpected bill or expense. That's nearly half of people. Medical emergency, um, nearly half of people. Cost of living increases, 44%. Uh, increase in loan payments, 37%. Or losing a job, 36%. Financial tasks take up a lot of time in an average month with a quarter of respondents devoting one full week per month to budgeting, checking their bank, bank account balances, reviewing their credit transactions. 
Um, yeah. So the survey also found a whopping 77% of respondents say they carry the mental load of their finances for their household. Do you do you carry the mental load? Mm, I carry a partial mental load. We're kind of partners you, uh, in the mental load sharing. Although my husband would probably say he carries more of the mental load than I do. I see. I yeah. See. Good to know. But I feel like if I can't contribute to the household expenses, I I feel bad about it. You right. know? I don't know. So, so if you want to yeah. contribute to the show, the PayPal <laughs> yeah. link is in the description. <laughs> yes, it is. 50% goes to Kim and her bills. Oh, let's talk about a universal vaccine. You could get Ooh. one vaccine and it would cover everything. Whatever well, it is that was out there in shopping. the world, one-stop shop. Preventing yeah. the next worldwide pandemic from happening before it even starts. This is what this is about. And this is researchers at Stanford University saying, yeah, you know what? COVID is always going to be with us. But we wonder if this whole thing could have been avoided altogether. What if there was a way in which our bodies could fight off a new infection from using different immunities. That is what is behind this. Stanford University professor Bali Pulendran and his colleagues think they have found an answer. And what they say to ABC7 News is, imagine if you had this universal vaccine that could have been delivered to humans that includes broad protections. We don't know exactly what this virus is. We don't know what it takes to make a conventional vaccine. But nevertheless, we've ramped up our innate immune system that's giving you a broad degree of protection. Traditional science uses antibodies or T-cells and that our T-cells remember spe uh, specifics of viruses introduced by vaccines to fight off infections. But Dr. Palendron says the innate immune system found in all creatures can be used to fight off more kinds of sickness, even viruses we've never even been exposed to yet. He says a single shot protects against influenza, COVID Omicron strains against COVID beta strains against other coronaviruses. So one shot would seem to imprint broad immunity that seems to protect against many different types of strains. And what that, can you tell us about the vaccine? It'd be a game changer, right? A one-stop shop, as you say. Yeah. Enter the conspiracy theorists. Oh what yeah. The government wants to our, have a, yeah. a vaccine that control every aspect of your life. You know, I spent a way too much time trying to figure out which image to show, and um, mm -hmm. I wanted to avoid the traditional injection into the shoulder right. photo. Um, this is the compromise. Well, we know we saw what happened, where there were lockdowns and everything, and then the minute the vaccine is developed, and we start getting sick but not dying from COVID as much, yeah. right, that we have some protection, the world opens back up. So what if we had a vaccine that could be deployed immediately upon the first signs of the pandemic, where we're protected, we have a better immune system, we're better able to fight something off? I, yeah, it would just I have say, to be close I say enough. yes. Well, obviously, they're working on this technology, but it would have to be close mm -hmm. enough to what it actually is. Um, so that'll be the key of having it broad enough. Sure. Um, I think they're they're going to figure out how to like how to get to the like the rudimentary level of almost every infection, right? Mm -hmm. Like to stop it right at the beginning, some basic function of uh, how it works. Just well, you know you what know, I like. Cut it off I, the legs. I like that someone's actually thinking ahead, 
how could we prevent it's not us. <laughs> it's not us. how can we prevent what's happened what happened before from happening again how can we get ahead of this right because we yeah. know that we're going to have another pandemic it's just when and what you mean what will plan, it be pandemic mm, whatever john says only one side effect you turn into a raging green hulk every time you get angry <laughs> yeah there you go um okay you know we were talking about vaccines mm -hmm. and uh there's this interesting, uh, you, and you mentioned the flu, there's this interesting place where catching the flu is for the love of science. At University of Maryland, there's a study exploring how it spreads. Mm -hmm. And at a downtown Baltimore hotel, University of Maryland researchers have quarantined an entire floor. Flu sufferers and healthy volunteers are playing cards, assembling a 4,000-piece puzzle and watching old movies. Conversation is lively, and uh, six-foot social distancing is ignored. The fun and games are a key part of its first-of-its-kind study to learn how the flu is transmitted, according to assistant professor of University of Maryland uh, School of Public Health, Kristen Coleman. We're getting to the bottom of it. Researchers at the, public, uh, the School of Public Health are teaming up with doctors from the University's School of Medicine to conduct this $15 million study funded by NIH. Coleman said the healthy volunteers understand the risks. They will most likely, most likely come down with the flu. There's a group of people that like to volunteer for research for the love of science. Matthew for the Tanner, money. <laughs> one of the healthy participants, uh, decided to join the study, knowing that he could contract the body aches, chills, and runny nose that comes with the flu. He says, during the COVID pandemic, I read a lot of articles about how viruses spread inside a building. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to experience how studies are being conducted so I can make my own judgment. At issue is a longstanding debate among scientists. Is the illness transmitted through large spray-borne drops and touching contaminated surfaces? or the inhalation of flu aerosols, which are tiny particles floating through the air. This is what we talked about with uh, COVID, right? Mm -hmm. um, they're leaning towards the aerosol hypothesis. Uh, Coleman said a proven answer can impact how the flu is treated in the future. In order to have the correct policy in place for controlling transmission during a flu emergency, we really need to understand how it's transmitted. So we're really trying to gather that so we're better prepared for a pandemic. Yeah, I like that. See, all these people thinking ahead. This is good yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know those giant hearts that you see around San Francisco? Some of them are on the Embarcadero, some of them are in front of buildings, but they're oh, all no. very diff they're all different. They're all very artsy. Well, there's a new batch of them for 2024. They are out at the Ferry Building. Um one of them is made out of more than 88,000 Lego bricks. So it's yeah, a Lego the heart. That's the one we're looking at right now. It's cool. Imagine, don't knock into that one. The Legos will be like splat must, all over the they floor. They must have glued them together. Or, yeah, put some type of covering, coating Otherwise, on top of it. Otherwise, it would just take one jerk off to, <laughs> to just smack it. into it so yeah. this is the 20th anniversary of this hearts in sf project which places 400 uh which play places rather 400 pound six foot wide hearts at various public spots in san francisco usually it happens around valentine's day this year they put them out a little bit early this year they'll mostly be out at the ferry building but the san francisco general hospital foundation the organization behind the project has also put them out early this year one of the giant hearts here you're looking at it um is made of 88,748 Lego bricks. It is called Behold Inside by Lego artist Nathan Sawaya. It's made entirely of Lego bricks, and they say it's emblematic of the tremendous talent that this program attracts. Um, there, there are some cool ones this year. Uh, this is up for au auction, this Lego heart, 
$40,000 starting bid. Whoa. I mean, you're raising money for San Francisco's General Hospital Foundation, which is cool. Another one of this year already sold for one hundred thousand. In 2020, one of them sold for three million. Um, there's some smaller tabletop hearts, so you can get something a little more affordable. There's mini hearts. Many of them are also on display at the Ferry Building. So yeah, pretty cool. I don't know. I I love. It's a great fundraiser. It's really creative. Whoever came up with this. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. And it's yeah. good for tourists and taking photos and all that good stuff. So they'll uh, be at the Ferry Building through February, February 29th. February. Thank you. And then they're going to be, uh, they will be moved from February 5th to 9th. February. To the Conservatory at One Sansom for the Hearts and SF Gala and then move back. But you can see them all online at Hearts in SF online. Very cool. Yeah. Um. And it doesn't cost you anything because, and that's important because, apparently Americans can no longer afford their cars. No, we can't even afford that, huh? For decades, car ownership has been a trademark of the American lifestyle. Yeah. F yeah, bro. With vehicles becoming symbols of freedom, independence, and even rebellion. America. As well as a necessity. But in 2024, the country's legendary love story with the automobiles appears to have reached a crucial point of, uh, of potential of no return or potential no return. As cars have become unaffordable to millions, life has generally gotten more expensive in the aftermath of the pandemic. Of course, including the cost of cars, car insurance and car repairs, both new and used car prices rose to record highs during the pandemic. And as the car industry was experiencing supply chain disruptions and chip shortages, um, this all became a mess, right? Since 2020, new car prices have risen by 30%, according to data shared by AI car shopping app Copilot. Um, within the same time frame, used cars have jumped by 38%. Oh, no. You used to be able to save money with a used car. Not so much anymore. Mm. Uh, in 2023, a year during which inflation slowed down to the point that the Federal Reserve decided to stop hiking rates, New car prices rose by 1% one uh, to an average of 50364 while used cars prices fell only 2% to an average of 31000 That's still a lot of money. Um, but as things stand, cars are still really expensive for many, many Americans. Just 10% of new car listings are currently priced below 30000 according to Copilot. Things are not much better in the used car market, where only 28% of listings are currently priced below 20000 um, according to an October report by MarketWatch, Americans needed an annual income of at least $100,000 to afford a car, at least oh. if they're following standard budgeting advice, which says you shouldn't spend more than 10% of your monthly income on car-related expenses. Yeah. That means that more than 60% of American households currently cannot afford to buy a new car based on oh, census Oh, man. Data. That means you can't afford to register it. You can't afford to take care of it properly, yeah. put new tires on it. That means people are driving around at risk. And the and for individuals, the numbers are even worse. With eighty-two percent of people living below the one hundred thousand dollar line. Uh, yeah. Well, that's not good news. Way to bring the party down. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. Well, maybe you have something interesting, intriguing. You know what I want to do she's for just serious. a hot minute? I want to. Can we go back to the hearts here? Oh, she's going rogue, people. I have these this website. These are all the hearts up for auction. There's the Lego heart. Look at this one. This is pretty. It's got like butterflies and a balloon and a like a hot air butterfly balloon. That's really pretty. These are beautiful. Which ones do you, you tell me if you like? Are one? you turning this into uh, shopping? shopping network? Yes. Look at this one has the ice cream sundaes on the top. Kind of looks hmm. like an ice cream cone. It kind of looks um, dirty. 
here's the tabletop hearts. I like this one. This is a California poppy mm. heart. And I thought, oh, how big are these? Tabletop. It's, it fits on your tabletop, right? I thought, well, maybe I could afford a tabletop heart. That's cute. I logged. I just clicked on bid on this heart. This starting bid is seventy five hundred dollars. The buy it now these? is ten grand. You know? uh, tabletop. So I don't know, like something I well, imagine like a table? centerpiece, maybe. Oh, okay, because I mean it could yeah. be like two inches. <laughs> it could right. be a foot. Probably more than that. Yeah. Well, big, but those not, are those are as... major major minor details. Look at that one. That's beautiful. Like a um, hydrangea heart. There's a beautiful one of San Francisco. There's some pretty ones. Ooh, that one's kind of all weird and shaped. Look at that. Are you done looking at hearts now? Well, probably the people listening to the podcast are. Oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So cool hearts. Loved them. Just wanted to share that with you. Like a lot. But, like a lot. But perhaps you have something interesting, intriguing. I have a mystery. I love a good mystery. This woman bought this dress. This is a vintage, obviously, dress, kind of a Victorian y looking dress at an antique store. And when she went to look in the pocket, it had pockets. They there was a mysterious note inside. This was at an antique store in Maine at an antique mall. We are the Her number one podcast for Maine news. Yes, we are. Hello, people in Maine. Her name was Sarah Rivers Cofield. Well, it is. And she said she'd never seen anything like this before. So it's fitted bodice, puffy, busty, and lace cuffs. Um, but a vintage costume collector, Sarah Rivers Cofield, recognized this as a dress from the 1880s. Despite its age... A, and bronze silk and a delicate embroidery, metallic buttons appeared intact. So she gets the price down. She haggles. It was listed for 125 bucks, but she pays 100 for it. And and then she says it's usually that I would hire, higher than I would usually pay. But all right. So then she finds this in the pocket. Um, there's a a tag stitch into the dress and has the handwritten name of Bennett. The words were cryptic. What did they mean? Why did Bennett need a super secret hidey hole, a little pocket inside the dress? Well, the buttons alone, they say, portrayed a forlorn Ophelia from Shakespeare's Hamlet and were worth more than she'd even paid for this dress. And then she thought it was over, but she finds then, after she had posted pictures, she finds in 2014 a blog about this dress. They've nicknamed it Bennett's Bronze Bustle. So I guess it becomes this decoding thing where people are trying to decode the message that she found in the pocket. Yeah, they there called is. it now the Silk Dress Cryptogram. And there's conspiracy theories being floated about the words and what the words mean. Um, it, in 2017, it was being called one of the top 50 unsolved encrypted messages. Was it a cryptic love note? Dress measurements, perhaps? Civil War codes? We don't know. Uh, they think maybe not Civil War because of her, the woman that uh, bought the dress. She said, I've studied 1880s catalogs from... Bloomingdale, she said, I'd no doubt that the dress was from that era. And by then, the war had been over for about 20 years. Maybe, though, it was a form of communication related to the telegraph, which had by, back then was a new way of sending notes in the United States. She said, I kind of abandoned the blog at that point. 
when people were floating conspiracy theories. But then a Canadian researcher cracked the code. His name is Wayne Chan with the University of Manitoba in Canada, stumbles across this code online in the summer of 2018. He looked at the 170 code books. None of them matched the message. He worked on it for a few months, didn't get anywhere, set it aside, came back, looked at it again. He does this as a hobby. Then he says he had a breakthrough. He discovered the coded messages were, in fact, a weather report, and they were not encrypted for secrecy, but because the code allowed forecasters to shorten detailed weather reports into just a few words. In the era of the telegraph, shorthand was cheaper than sending a big batch of words and temperature readings. So each word represented a meteorological variable like temperature, wind speed, barometric pressure, etc. And that's what it was. It was a weather report. Bismarck meant it was recorded at the Bismarck station. Omit meant the air temperature was 56 degrees and the barometric pressure was 0.08 inches of mercury. Leafage, which was also on the message, referred to a dew point of 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and so, so and was bank- this like Spencer Christian's ancestors? That's or? right. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. It wasn't secret at all. It was just a weather report found in somebody's dress. Although when I you look know. at this dress, I kind of see the paper packing material in my Amazon box right now. You know, yeah. it's like the ruffled oh, it brown looks like paper. It, maybe it would look different in person. It is silk. Yeah, it looks like ruffled but paper. But it does. Too. It looks yeah. like the crumpled paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the takeaways from this, they say, is the discovery that people had no immediate way of knowing that w- how the weather was coming in the 1880s. It's, she said, it never occurred to me, the woman who bought the dress, that the telegram would have been what unlocked that for people. And technology really used- hasn't improved ever since because I look at my <laughs> app and it lies to me every every other day. But the, miss of the, the uh, mystery of the dress is solved. So we can all take a deep breath and move on. Yep. BW Rock says, don't Google Heidi hole in dress, folks. Oh, no. (laughs) You don't want to do that. (laughs) No. I think on that note, it's time to take a break. Let us take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the Emmys, Elton John. And remember that guy, William Hung? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about him, too. Awkward. That's next on The After Party Live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience. And without you, this show wouldn't be possible. For a dollar a day, you could help feed a very moody three-year-old cat with a taste for turkey and chicken. Every day across this world, cats go 30 minutes without food and don't know where to turn. Any dollar amount is appreciated and it all adds up. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Thank you for your consideration. Are you hungry? You want food? party where you don't even have to leave the house you could be naked for all we care the after party live Ooh, naked party i love Ooh, archie we have people so to funny. thank who do we have to thank we have ongoing contributors allison a harry m and elizabeth r thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank, thank you. you guys without yeah. you the show goes away we are a very small budget and uh, we think we can we think we can we, think we, we don't can. want it to go away we want to keep talking to you about stuff like the emmys yeah, yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Emmys, shmemmys. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, you. I noticed on your Mark Thompson uh, news report, you mentioned 
the guy there in the middle won a uh, lead actor actor uh, for his uh, role in Succession. But you didn't mention our Sarah Snook right next to him. She also oh, won lead yeah. actress. Very good. Um, mm. It's uh, it's very good. And I, for some reason, the USA you know, Today won't let me log in. I don't know. They don't uh, well, like me. Yeah. Oh, it's it's not requiring login for me. So maybe I'll do it. Um, Please. But it's Please. Uh, Sarah Carry Snook on. was the, uh, the person we talked about who was told that she shouldn't have cake. Well, you mm -hmm. know what? Now she can have her cake. She can and have she, the cake. Go for and it. And she can say to that casting person, who exactly are you? <laughs> the they one who got, called her a nobody. They got the six awards each. The Roy clan of succession they found. Yes, they did. Um, the Bear, also one of the big right. winners there. Uh, the 75th Primetime Emmy Awards. Best Drama win for Succession. Best Comedy win for The Bear. Nikki was saying earlier she didn't really see The Bear as a comedy. But I haven't watched it. I haven't either, but I is want to. It is, and I don't have Hulu, yeah, so I, I can't Hulu. get it. Mm -mm. Yeah. And I'm not paying um, for it. Yeah, one of the biggest winners, Elton John, because yeah. he gets an uh, an Emmy for a variety special, Elton John Farewell from Dodger Stadium. And when he gets the Emmy for this, look at him go. He he becomes an EGOT, right? Yeah. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. So now he's in the EGOT club. And, and apparently he was screaming when he found out. That's he wasn't so cool. he wasn't there. He wasn't there in person. Um, but I think David he just had knee surgery. Uh, so he couldn't come because he just had knee surgery. But yeah, he was pretty excited. He's an, I mean, who isn't going to be excited that you're an EGOT, right? Right. Very I cool. love it. Um, another one that got took the Emmy is a show I haven't seen either on Netflix called Beef. Have you seen Beef? No, I haven't. No. Um, that got five awards. It um sometimes the name of the show alone, if I don't know what it is and I see something that's like beef, I'm like, mm, yeah, no. that doesn't sound appealing to me. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, Ali Wong and Steven Yoon in that one, I guess. So The Last of Us. Uh I did watch that. Ted Lasso. They did had um 21... Ted Lasso kind of got shut out. Yeah, they had 21 nominations, but neither The Last of Us nor Ted Lasso took any Emmys home. Well, it's kind of like every so, show has their moment, right? Mm -hmm. And Ted Lasso was a couple years ago, right? Where they were yeah. winning everything. So I think after a while, people just kind of like, uh, we're on to the next thing. Yeah. One day you're in, so. the next day you're out. Evita Zane. Juice. That's it. Yeah. Um, William Hung. He was on American Idol, I want to say. He was on American Idol. And he was kind of like, it was back when they were like making fun of people who actually weren't good. Yeah, he was they've on the aud since, audition. Yeah, they cut he, that short now. They don't really make fun of people anymore. No, it's not not a very kind. But I will say he had a lot of charisma when he did his So Bad It's Good performance. Remember right. he sang She Bang? Right. Is what he That's said. What it was. Yeah. yeah. But he was funny when he did it and he kind of used it to his advantage because it went viral and then he was you know being interviewed everywhere and asked to perform it and so right. it kind of took off so even though people were he was kind of maybe he was laughing with everyone else as far as this but he apparently had been quite a gambler he quit his job three years ago to become a professional poker player he said he'd been doing it on the side for a while decided maybe i was good enough to go for it he said, I was earning more playing poker than I was at my regular job, and it was going really well for a while, 
until it wasn't. Unfortunately, he said he developed a gambling addiction. He said, I knew I was good at poker, but then I got greedy. I got into sports betting, the whole gamut. He said, I know better now. I wasn't supposed to do those things, but I did it anyway, and I paid for it. I got divorced. I learned I had to be smart about which risks I choose to take. So, but it was his upbeat attitude after that whole rejection on American Idol that made people like him, you know, that he was the way he handled it and everything. So, yeah, what a bummer. I think you run that risk when you start being around that gambling world and playing poker and, you know, doing something when you risk hanging out with Mark Thompson at the table. It's all a risk. Watch out. Um, Speaking of winners, we're winners because of Wes, $10 with a super sticker. Thank you, Wes. Wes, thank you for that. You're awesome. A lot of people talking about beef, saying it was really good. Um, John pointing out that it's beef, as in having a beef with someone. Oh, Not what I was imagining. Like an animal show. show. A show about cattle. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly what you would imagine. But I guess that's good. Yeah, and that's but it Netflix. is funny how I won't I even Netflix. give a show a chance that somebody doesn't tell me about if I see a title and I'm like, yeah, you, like, don't, you don't have me. You well, you just me. scroll on by because there's so much to choose from now, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Um, Let's talk about South Park. I haven't seen that show for a while. Yeah, so deep fakes seem to be getting creepier and creepier as characters from huge franchises, including Harry Potter and Game of Thrones, are frequently seen getting the AI treatment. Now that technology has imagined has imagined what two-dimensional animated characters in South Park would look like if they were played by real people. And frankly, it's freaky to say the least. It's almost been 30 mm-hmm. years since South Park first promote, uh, premiered, introducing TV audiences to the crude world of Stan, Kyle, Eric, and Kenny. Even if someone hasn't watched the sitcom, chances are you'll be able to recognize the group with their signature round faces, googly eyes, and simplistic block-colored outfits. And I actually have a video clip here. Might get us demonetized, but I think the creep factor will make it worth it. Let's see what you think. You okay. ready for it? Yeah. Here we go. As for drugs, well, drugs are bad. You shouldn't do drugs. Okay. I think it's the blinking that's creepy. It's not human. It's kind of like replicant alien blinking. I don't know. It's part of me thinks like, what's the point? Oh, they're saying. I mean, it's kind of cute, cutesy, I guess. Cutesy, creepy is what I would say. Um, Again, I don't really see what the point is other than the novelty of it, I guess. Um, But. Yeah, that was weird. weird. Yeah, it's weird. Right? It's like <laughs> somebody has time on their hands. Like, what's the point? I don't really know. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't you know, know what I do now? It's time for Travel Tuesday. Oh, yeah. Travel Tuesday. Let's get our logo up on the screen. Do we have that little, like, uh, Travel Tuesday logo? I'm trying to find it. That's it not is. it. There it is. There it is. Come fly with me. Let's fly. Let's fly. <laughs> Oh, Mockingbird, you're the cutest. Did you know that if you go to Colombia, 
don't use the dating apps. Don't go to Del- Columbia looking for love. No, that's not why I'd go to Columbia. Well, eight suspicious U.S. deaths in Colombia have been linked to dating apps there. The U.S. Embassy in Bogota said some victims were drugged and robbed after going to Colombia and then meeting people on these apps. These incidents happened in cities like Cartagena and Bogota, where U.S. tourism is picking up. Travelers are being told to avoid isolated locations like hotel rooms. Where are you supposed to stay? I don't know. Apparently, criminals are using these apps to lure victims to places like restaurants or bars where they can be assaulted, robbed, even killed, sometimes by the person they meet. That's what the embassy is warning. In the final three months of 2023, the number of robberies of foreign visitors increased by 200% in Colombia and deaths by 29%. That includes the eight Americans who died between November 1st and December 31st. Um it's a scary situation. Uh, these types of crimes, they say, routinely go unreported or underreported as victims are embarrassed and don't want to follow through with ju- the judicial process. And those who try to resist or fight back against a robbery attempt are more likely to be killed. So basically, don't go there trying to meet people because the U.S. Embassy there says this is dangerous. Yeah, you don't want to be part of those processes, protocols. No, thank you. don't you. seem to have any standards. Speaking of not having any standards, <laughs> Spirit. Spirit Airlines. Um, but in this case, Spirit Airlines passenger has been arrested for asking flight attendants to, what do you think it is? I don't know. Join the Mile High Club. Oh, as one does. Yes, yeah. The yes. FBI is investigating a Spirit Airlines passenger who allegedly asked flight attendants to join the Mile High Club earlier this week, according to the Department of Justice. James Warren Finister. 47 is facing criminal charges for interfering with flight crew members, sexually harassing and assaulting flight attendants and engaging in other disruptive behavior while on board flight 693 from Louisville, Kentucky <laughs> to Orlando, Florida. Florida. There you go. Yep. Court records uh, state the Detroit native first asked the lead flight attendant if she wanted to join the Mile High Club before pulling a second crew member into a seat and asking her the same question. Uh, the passenger is also accused of lying on the floor of the plane after being moved to a, a new seat and requesting entry uh, into the airplane cockpit. Finister uh, later told uh, FBI officials that he consumed mul- multiple alcoholic shots to calm his nerves pl- prior to the flight, which he stated was his first. <laughs> wow. you First flight and you're right. You're asking the flight attendants. Uh, hey, you can't join the Mile High Club alone. You got to have a partner. If convicted on the charges which violate federal criminal law. He will face a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. Oh, man. That seems a little harsh. That's uh, Along with the FBI, the case is also being looked into by Homeland Security Investigations and the United States Marshal Service. I guess it has to do with not interfering with the, the operation of the flight, oh. which is more serious. Yeah. Crime. Wow. Just for asking? I mean, it's <laughs> creepy and weird, but just for saying, hey, want to be on the Mile High Club? You could be at 20 years in prison? Yeah, well, don't pull. It sounds like he did other things, too. He, like, pulled somebody into the seat. and, and No, was, yeah, that's kind of weird, assault. Weird yeah, stuff. no, we don't want that. Yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> no, nobody indeed. No, no, thank you. However, we do have time for this. This is the list of the safest countries in which to travel. So, I mean, this, you know, if you're planning so a trip, you take not this. Columbia. Not Columbia. Not Columbia. No. Um, let's see. I'll give you the list. Looking for the list. 
this country was just named the safest place to travel in 2024. And I don't think this photo gives it away. I don't think so either. But for nine years, this um, company has put on the safest destinations report, highlighting the best spots to visit. Um, if you're from the United States, they say this spot could be closer than you think. So the way they do this, they compile this list of safest nations across the world via a survey of travelers evaluated alongside from data, the data from Global Peace Index and the State Department's travel safety ratings, along with the average GeoSure global scores of the major cities in each country. Um, used to be a safe place was one that was originally or pretty much free from terrorist activity. Mm -hmm. Then one that was safe from disease outbreaks. Mm -hmm. Now it's a place where everyone can move freely without being discriminated against or harassed. As a definition, they say, of a safe destination evolved, so have the world's safest places. And all three are all, all their places where people can move about freely, stay disease-free, and be sheltered from severe weather events. So the number one ranking, Canada. It moves, moves up from the sixth spot in what 2023. Yeah. They say the cold weather and low population density make for safe travels there. It also ranked on uh, number one for safety and transportation, a lack of violent crime, health measures. It's the safest place for women and those in the LGBTQ and BIPOC communities. Um, there's still natural disasters there. Uh, wildfires. They had some wildfires, remember, of, of late. But um, people are really saying Canada is a safe place. So that's good. Yeah. Wes is guessing Switzerland. Switzerland is on the list, but it's um, number two. Switzerland comes in at number two. It moved up from spot number nine, uh, scoring high marks. Number nine. Scoring high marks for its history of low crime and safety. Um, and so that's great, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rounding out the top five, Norway comes in third, Ireland in fourth, and the Netherlands in fifth place. Um, the Netherlands fell from the number one spot to number five due to an increase in petty crime. But still, those are the, the top yeah. safest Walter places to visit. Walter was guessing New Zealand. New Zealand's number 11. So it's um, what? Canada, Switzerland, then um norway norway ireland and the netherlands those are your yeah. top five yeah then uk portugal denmark iceland austria australia sorry uh new zealand yeah. japan france spain and brazil yeah there you go so, pretty cool um be safe out there asking, people someone's asking what that photo is they don't mention but i think it's somewhere in i want to say it's toronto yeah it looks like it, it may not be i'm not sure it doesn't say <laughs> we, we don't to, know we haven't we CNN and uh, the after party have not uh, geolocated and uh, authenticated where that photo originated. At. Lots of people there, though. Yeah. Um, this next story is about uh, tourism off the beaten path. Uh, screw over tourism by travel. <laughs> is that really the headline? Screw over tourism. That's why I was hesitating. Screw over, over tourism over by tourism. traveling here yeah. instead of 2020 in 2024. The Daily Beast has a list of the coolest off the beat, beaten path places to visit um travel is back and with it the crowds but you can still discover plenty of unspoiled spots with all the charm and none of the congestion of, of overrun tourist haunts nearly four years after the world shut down global tourism was on the verge of returning and overtaking pre-pandemic levels 
Uh, Post-COVID revenge travel, as they call it, is in full swing. And while that's great for vacationers seeking new experiences and people whose businesses and livelihoods depend on those travels, it also means the return of over-tourism. Overrun destinations such as Amsterdam, Dubrovnik, Venice, Barcelona, Bali, the Amalfi Coast, and Thailand are practically begging tourists to ease up. Or at least, please, for the love of all that's holy, try visiting during shoulder or off-season, which is what I recommend. The The problem extends beyond the mere crowds. It's about the environmental de- degradation from congestion, the added pollution, and many tourists' general disregard for their surroundings. It's also about real estate developers, often with the support of local governments, wholesale reinventing neighborhoods to appeal to tourists, ultimately creating a cycle of dependence on those travelers. And it's about locals being displaced from their historic homes and wildlife being scared away. Um, let's see. So on their list here, they have um, Kana, Kanazawa, Japan. Hmm. Never heard of that. Never did either. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, What's the, there? It's, yeah, it says it's um, a massive influx of tourists have meant that the so-called golden route, Tokyo, Kyoto, and Osaka, off the itinerary of first-timers has become intensely overcrowded. Um, before the pandemic, Kyoto's most famous shrines and temples were already too packed, and it's no different now uh, as post-COVID travelers overwhelm the city in search of traditional Japanese delights. But just two hours north uh, by high-speed train in Ishikawa pre- prefecture, prefecture is Kanazawa, Kanazawa, a beautiful city where tradition collides with modernity uh, in all the same ways that make Kyoto such a popular destination. It was spared from the World War II air raids, so it's incredibly well-preserved. Um Next is, how do you pronounce it? Is it Toulouse? Toulouse, France? T-O-U-L-O-U-S-E? That's what I would say, but it might be wrong. Um, Just because we need to get through this. Uh, Hamilton, Ontario. uh, Valencia, Spain. Puglia. Puglia? Puglia? Puglia. 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 Italy. Italy, uh, Traverse City, Michigan. Traverse City. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? You've heard of it? I have. Um. Kavtat, Croatia. Never heard of that. Um, yeah, Dubrovnik is is really crowded, and the cruise ships come in. One came in on the, the second time I was there. I was like, oh, here come the Americans. Wait a minute. You are an American. Hold on. <laughs> the, yeah, not the boorish kind. Sorry, I'm, a, I'm, a le- I'm an elitist traveler. No. Oh, is that what um, it is? Yeah. You know who I mean. Like, the, the people just come in for the day and, like, <laughs> you know, overrun the city and eat and spend money. Uh, yeah, God forbid we should eat and spend money. Well, when you over, if you <laughs> overrun a city, saying. if you overrun a city with like a thousand, two thousand people at the same it's time, it's, it's a little yes, much. Yeah, and, and Americans in general can be rude, uh, or uh, you know what I mean. Rotterdam. Moving on, Rotterdam, Netherlands is on the list. Uh, Namibia is on the list, and uh, Bacalar, Bacalar, Mexico, hmm. rounding out the the list of places that you could go um, that won't be overrun. Well, I have another list for you because I've heard, I don't know, a lot of people I think are freaking out about the election, right? And they're thinking... Oh if no, a certain, are you going political? I, a little bit, not very much. If a certain candidate gets in to the White House, they're going to get out. Like the people are saying, there are some people that are saying if he wins again, we're going to check out and go to a people different People always country. say that. I know. And whether it's true or not, I don't know. Not true. But if that's you and you're thinking about this, I have the list for you. This is, according to CNN data, the best countries for expatriates. You mean Libby, Libby, Lib data. (laughs) Hey, you know what? 
the best country that number tops the list mexico no, that that's, not mexico. Look, that's not mexico mexico's the, the top of the list yeah number one mexico mm-hmm wasn't by. it yeah mexico is i believe it's the top of the list absolutely mm-hmm Mexico, a longtime retirement destination for Americans. Mexico attracting more families as the digital nomad set over the last year. Mexico City, the largest in North America with about 22 million people in the metro area, has been very popular. It grew between 2019 and 2023 by 3%, or about 600,000 people according to World Population Review. Mexico City, yeah. Elsewhere, cities like Oaxaca and San Miguel de Allende and Playa del Carmen are also havens for U.S. expats, many of whom point to Mexico's lower cost of living and relaxed lifestyle as strong draws. So pros and cons here, just because we're doing it and it's the top one, right? The pros, Mexico ranks first in Internation's Expat Insider Survey, ranked among the top five countries since 2014. Um, People appreciate ease of setting in, a fulfilling social life, strong support networks, Mexico's affordability, and laid-back lifestyle. Cons, mm, some Mexican cities with large uh, expat communities say they experience the pushback amongst foreigners. I would also worry about safety honestly, you Mm. know, um, 90% of crimes in Mexico are never reported. So we don't really have the good, good numbers on that. Number two, best country to move to Portugal. Yep. Their popularity has exploded since the country introduced its golden visa program in 2012, becoming the most successful of its kind, inspiring other countries to launch their own plans to attract foreign investment as well. Um, Although they have ended their real estate investment aspect to this whole thing, which changes things for people who are non-residents, people love it because it's affordable, good quality of life, mild weather year-round, high-quality healthcare system. Um, But as is the case in Mexico, there's a bit of a growing backlash against foreigners, especially Americans and especially in Lisbon. Number three, Spain. Great place to move to, gorgeous climate, lower cost of, of living in Western Europe, vibrant culture, rich cities. Um, and so people are saying there's so much to love about Spain as well. Uh, English is not widely spoken there. That's one of the cons of this one. Also, the Netherlands. See, coming back to the list, bicycling obsessed nation ranks fifth and the World Happiness Report. So you move to the Netherlands and all of a sudden you got a smile on that face. More than 31,000 U.S. citizens currently call the Netherlands home. It's and active. they do speak English there. <clears throat> they do. Yeah. And very good for the active types. They have world-class cycling and infrastructure. They, they have more bikes apparently than people there. And sometimes um, you'll get thrown off and think that a young person, a young Dutch person is American because they grow up with the American um, version of everything. Oh, So like in other countries in Germany, they dub it in German. They'll mm-hmm. dub movies and TVs. They don't in the Netherlands. It's all American English. So, so I, I saw a group of Dutch speak. teenagers on a plane and I thought they were Americans. And then by the end, I figured out that they were Dutch, but it's weird. It's kind of it's weird. Well, 
apparently there's a huge tax advantage for American expats there. You can Mm. apply for what's known as the 30% ruling, which is a tax advantage where you're you're granted a tax-free 30% allowance of your gross salary for five years. So, you know, pretty good. Germany, also on the list. Pretty good. Singapore is on the list as well. Another one on the best places for for Americans. But no to spitting, move. no spitting if you're in Singapore. No. no spitting gum on the ground. Costa Rica, isn't that pretty? Look at that. Yeah, Costa Rica, natural beauty, excellent healthcare system, uh, one of the most sustainable countries in the world. Yeah. Um, but the whole laid back lifestyle thing can affect how business is done. People tend to show up late. It's often referred to as Tico time. Panama. Yeah. Island, Island time. Panama is on the list as well. Look at that cool, twisty, weird building. Awesome. Um, it's described as the Miami of Central America. Another great place to move to if you're an expat Italy. Yep. Well, you become an expat when you move, right? So um, pros, access to some of the world's most popular tourist cities, picturesque countryside, immersion in a culture with family values and food and wine. The healthcare system is also good. Uh, But cons, the prospects for employment in Italy are not as abundant as they are in other European countries. Also, English is not widely spoken, is what they say. But you're not going to have a problem in Italy. No. France is on most the list. Most of these countries, like, I, most of the world, I, I didn't have a problem with finding people English? who spoke English. Yeah. yeah. Young people all speak English now. When I was in Luxembourg, taking taxis uh, was a problem because a lot of taxis spoke, taxi drivers spoke Portuguese only. So I had Portuguese to use, in yeah, isn't that weird? So Cows I had to use Google Translate. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I think they would have to speak French, but you don't speak French, right? No. Because they, what, do they have three languages there? Luxembourgish, yeah, Luxembourgish, French, French, German. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All I know um, is they charge $30 to park for like an hour. That's it. <laughs> The last one on the list is France. Um, they say the reality Salut. of living in France is a lot different than Emily in Paris. It yeah. can be expensive, um, but they do have extensive social programs there. Universal health care for one. Lots of public holidays. Um, quality of life is really good. However, um, the social taxes in France are really high. And up to 45%. And high, um, in, high income individuals have to also pay a surcharge of 3% on part of their income as well. Also, if you're outside major cities, they say also a language barrier could be a problem. But um, sorry that went on so long. But those are some of the uh, the top places to move to if you're looking to get out If when he gets in. If or if he does get in. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen. Yeah, Mama Day Three Boys is saying, why do they call them expats and not immigrants? Um, it's kind of a technicality. Like both terms, I'm reading from definition here, both terms describe people living in another country other than their original. Expat often has connotations of temporary, professional, higher socioeconomic status, while immigrant is a broader term describing a long-term or permanent relocation. So a lot of it's like social status, but it's kind I of I really like, don't like the word ex- expatriate because it seems like you're not then patriotic to America if you've moved out of the country. Well, but it's you not could... literal. That's not what it literally means. It's like, pay, uh, pay, what the the patriot means from out of, right? So the mm. the Greek term patria is native country fatherland. So you're like out of your native 
country. It's is not that like what it permanent. Is? It's not permanent usually. Yeah, I was thinking it's it's like like if you, you were love like, your country. I'm like, like if you what? were American and you were in yeah. like some um, British, you know, controlled country back in the day, like mm-hmm. in a movie, like you're an expat. You're not there permanently. Right? Mm-hmm. You're just hanging out, spending your money and getting drunk most likely. Well, thus concludes Travel Tuesday. Travel Tuesday for a Tuesday. <laughs> Thanks for coming by, everybody. Appreciate it. <laughs> Do we have, love you travel tuesday do we have one more do we have anything else i think we're coming towards the end is that it okay do you want to do your burger king guy story i'll do the burger king guy story yeah um this is a story about of course burger king this burger king worker you may remember he didn't miss a day of work in 27 years 27 oh, yeah, yeah. years kevin ford He is the guy who went viral for never missing a day of work in 27 years. So someone starts a GoFundMe for him. And people from all over the world loved his work ethic so much that they kicked in money. And he has this GoFundMe account worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And using the money, Kevin Ford just bought a house. Mm. He posted this on TikTok and Instagram details about the house he just bought in Western Nevada. He said, I'm trying to get through it without crying, but I wanted to show you something that you made possible. I know it's not a mansion, he said, but it's mine. And he takes people through his three bedroom, two bath house in Pahrump, Nevada. He said his life was forever changed in 2022 when a viral video showing him receiving a gift from management for his decision Uh, his dedication to his job at Burger King after not missing a shift in 22 years. They gave him a Starbucks reusable tumbler, a bag of Reese's candy, pens, and two rolls of Lifesavers and other items. And people thought, are you kidding me? After 27 years of not Mm. calling in sick, of working your ass off, you get a cup and some candy? He should at least get a Stanley cup. That's exactly right. Well, he got a GoFundMe account, which has raised nearly $450,000 to date, and he used much of it to buy this house. He said, I want to thank everyone all around the world for what you've done for me, something I never would have thought was possible for myself, homeownership. Now my kids and my grandkids have a place to visit me. How yeah, cool Eric is says, that? Um, company loyalty is a joke. Burger King would replace him in a heartbeat. They absolutely would have. I mean, yeah, imagine. Company loyalty is pretty much dead. Wouldn't you and say? 27 years, never misses a day of work, and you get a cup and some candy. Yeah. Wow. It's like most corporate environments. The harder you work, the more they just dump on you. Right? Well, I love that Like, people, oh, you're good at doing stuff. I love that people came to his aid and lifted him up, and now he owns a home. I think that's pretty and cool. speaking of people coming to the aid of others... We need to thank Wes, who always comes through. Wes, with a $10 super sticker today. Thank you, Wes. And then we have um, ongoing contributors, right? We do. We have our ongoing contributors, including Allison A., Harry M., and Elizabeth R. Thank you, all of you. Yeah. That's it. That's it for today. But we'll be back tomorrow. We with will. More after Party Live. Yes, thank you for being here and thank you for contributing to the show and participating in the chat. Please click the like button on your way out. If you haven't subscribed, please do that too. And we will see you tomorrow. Bye, everybody. Bye, John Daly. Have a great afternoon. Bye. Out of time. Bye bye.